This is the podcast for RUF at the University of Texas. A community for students to experience God's grace and express God's grace to others. For more information, visit www.ruf.org ut. Or find us on Instagram at TexasRUF. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Guys, welcome to RUF. My name is John Trapp. I'm the campus minister here for RUF at the University of Texas. And usually there are hundreds of people filling this room on the first day uh, back for RUF. And it's really strange not having y'all here today. And I really can't wait for the day when we're all back here together again. Right now, I'm preaching to six music crew students uh, who are hanging out. <laughs> yeah, let's go. <laughs> guys, laugh really loud at my jokes, please. Uh, look, this is, this is a weird time, but we're, we're going to keep moving onward because the mission for RUF hasn't changed. We still want to be a community of people where all kinds of people can come and explore faith can grow in their faith, can search for answers, and find friendship and community. That's what we want to see happen at RUF, and we're really glad that you're joining us here, whatever watch pod that you're watching this with, or if you're somewhere else watching this on your own, we're really glad to have you here with us. And I want you to know that our staff is here to help you and to serve you any way that we can this this semester. Um, I'm here, Mary Henley Green, who you'll meet at some point, hopefully, who's on campus staff full-time with us. If you haven't met her already, she's here for you guys. Daniel Wong, our assistant campus minister, and our two awesome new interns, Nicholas Manley, who's been making this thing happen today, and Maria Caprio. We're all here to serve you guys, as well as our student leaders. And we're just excited to see what God's gonna do with this semester. I think that he's at work still in our midst. And as we come to this passage that James just read for us, I want you to think about this question. How do you have an encounter with God? How does that happen? Maybe you've doubted God's existence. Maybe particularly this year you've doubted where he is in the midst of all this. Or maybe you feel really distant from him or cold or apathetic towards him. Or you're longing to experience him. So the question then is how do you access God? How do you get to him? And this semester what we're going to look at is encounters that Jesus has with people all throughout the book of John. And we see how people encounter Jesus. And I hope that this will speak to our longing to encounter God and what that looks like and how we can do it. So three things tonight, shocker, I know, your mind's blown, three-point outline. One, who is Jesus? Two, what Jesus does. And three, so what? One, who Jesus is. Two, what Jesus does. And three, so what? So first, let me pray, and then we'll get started. Father, thanks so much for 
this time to be together. Uh, even though it's in a very strange way, we thank you that we can be together. And we thank you that you promise us that where two or more are gathered, that you are there with us. And so we pray that you would be with us now as we consider what your word has for us. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Who is Jesus? To frame this, I want to talk to you about a very strange reality TV show that Chrissy Trapp and I have had to turn to to fill the void of Bachelor and Bachelorette Nation that's been left in our lives since we haven't been able to watch this recently. Some of you may have seen it. It's on Netflix. It's called Married at First Sight. Anyone seen it? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I see that hand. Married at First Sight is exactly what it sounds like. It's two people who agree to marry somebody the first time that they meet them. Now, they have like three experts who interview 100 men and 100 women, and they kind of whittle it down to four people that they think will be a perfect match with each other. And these four people agree to marry this person at first sight. And they have the whole ceremony, they film it, it is crazy. But something struck me while I was watching this with Chrissy earlier this month. See, the bride comes down the aisle, her name's Amber, and she meets Matt for the first time. And it's awesome because he's like the six foot nine basketball player and she's five foot two, middle school teacher, and it's just amazing like seeing them meet for the first time. Like, okay, we're gonna be married, here we go. And by the way, if y'all like want me to arrange this with some other RUF campus ministers, just let me know. I can like, talk to them. We can look into that. We'd be happy to provide that service. But anyway, the what you what you see happen in the ceremony though is they, they don't even know each other's names. And the pastor looks at Amber and he says, Amber, Matt's friends and family would like you to know that he is as loyal as they come. Once Matt is committed to something, he's all in. He will stand by you for as long as you stand by him in this marriage. And it sounds amazing. And Amber's so excited. But the question is, how does Amber actually know that this is true, that this guy is going to be committed and loyal to her? You know, you can say that about somebody, but until she actually has Matt move in with her, she won't really know. She doesn't know him until he moves in. And then it gets real, and spoiler alert, it gets real with Matt and Amber. You should check it out if you're looking for some, like, ridiculous reality TV in your life. It gets real. And that's what we see happen in this passage. How do we know who God is? Well, he can, we can hear a lot of things said about him. God can even say a lot of things about himself. But what he does ultimately is he gives what the book of Hebrews calls, he gives us his final word of who he is. He gives us Jesus. Jesus is the truth about God fleshed out. He is the truth about who God is fleshed out into the world. And that's what we see here in this passage. God doesn't just give the world words about himself. He moves in. John 1, 1 says that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then in verse 14, we see that the word became flesh. Jesus is the fleshed out truth about God. He comes into this world. And y'all, that is an audacious claim. It is a ridiculous sounding claim. That the God who made heaven and earth, who made the entire universe and all the cosmos, that that God entered into time and space as a first century peasant from Nazareth named Jesus. And yet that is exactly what the Bible is claiming. 
So much so that verse 18 that James read for us says, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. In other words, no one has seen God, but you know what now? Now that we have seen Jesus, he has made God known to us. Jesus is God's final word about who God is. And a couple of things that that means for us. First off, it means that there's not this like New Testament God and Old Testament God that we often think about when we read our Bibles. Like, we, it's easy for us to do that. Like, Jesus is this cool, kind of groovy, peaceful, chill teacher in the New Testament who claims to be God. But then there's like that Old Testament God. And he's kind of grumpy and surly, and he seems like he's kind of a pledge trainer, just like breaking his reel down. And those are two different gods. But what we see here is that the book of John is claiming that, no, no, those are the same gods. And in fact, Jesus gives us further clarity about who God is as a person. So if you want to know who God is like, look at Jesus. That's who God is like. And listen, this is a totally unique claim to Christianity. There is no other world religion, there is no other major world religion that has a God, the God, who becomes a man. God, where God actually doesn't just say words about himself through his prophets, but he actually enters into time and space to further explain and demonstrate who he is. That's who Jesus is. That's who he claims to be. And to encounter God, you must deal with Jesus. And to help you imagine who Jesus is, I'm going to read to you, um, this is kind of a free verse poem from James Allen Francis. It was written early in the 20th century. You may have heard me read it before a couple years ago. I just love it so much. It's called One Solitary Life. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in still another village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family or owned a house. He didn't go to college. He never visited a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things one usually associates with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Twenty centuries have come and gone, and today he is the central figure of the human race and the leader of mankind's progress. All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliament that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man on earth as much as that one solitary life. I think this is such a beautiful description of who Jesus is and how he's impacted this world. And if we're going to live in this world, we need to at least recognize that Jesus of Nazareth has had this singular impact unlike anyone else ever has in the history of the world. And I think it's because he's God. He's God fleshed out. He's the truth of God fleshed out in the world. You see, he doesn't just call to us. God doesn't just call to us from a distance and say, this is what I'm like, so believe it. No, he gave us his final word 
of who he is, and it's the word made flesh. Jesus of Nazareth shows us, he comes down and he shows us what God is really like. And how do we know what God is really like? Well, we know by looking at what Jesus does. Second point, what Jesus does. First off, you see that Jesus moves toward darkness. If you look in verse 5, we see that the light shines in the darkness. But not only this, verse 9 tells us that the light comes into the darkness. Jesus, the light of life, he comes into the darkness to rescue us. He doesn't say distant. He's not repulsed by the darkness of this world. He's not repulsed by the darkness inside of me or you. Instead, what we see is that Jesus doesn't shy away from it, but instead he's drawn to it. He comes into the world to do something about the darkness. And I hope that, I hope that for you that this is an encouragement and a comfort. Because there's a lot of darkness in our world right now, in our lives, in the streets, in our communities. And what we see is that Jesus has not forgotten us. The Wall Street Journal published a study recently, just this past week, on the mental health state of our country. And what, what it said was, was honestly like really alarming and not that surprising. But there were a couple statistics that really shocked me. And one of them was a statistic about 18 to 24-year-old adults in our country. And it said that in the last three months, over 25% of young adults in our country have considered suicide. Well, that is darkness. And if that's you, what I want you to hear is that Jesus is not repulsed by the darkness in your life. Jesus, Jesus doesn't want you to hide that from him. You don't have to be ashamed of the darkness in your life, just like I don't have to be ashamed of the darkness that is there in my life before God. Because what we see here is that the light is drawn to the darkness. Jesus doesn't ask you to clean up your darkness, to clean up yourself, to figure it out, and then he'll do something about it. No, no, no. Jesus moves towards us to do something about it himself. That's what Jesus does. But also what we see, another thing that Jesus does is he experienced what we experience. In verses 10 and 11, we see that Jesus experiences rejection. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him, the scripture says. And, and I think for all of us, like, we want our heroes to be like us. And, and one example I'll give of that is, like, if you're in the grocery store aisle and you see a People magazine, and the People magazine has, like, a little blurb on the bottom that, was, that says, like, Khloe Kardashian photos before she got her eyebrows done. Like, you want to see that picture, right? We're like, Ryan Gosling at the beach, dad bod. And you're like, oh, I kind of want to check that out. I'm sure he still looks incredible. It's Ryan Gosling, but dad bod, right? Like, we kind of want to see famous people look like us and empathize with us. But what famous people in our world do is what we do, which is to gloss it over, to put a filter on it, to make ourselves look better to the world. But what we see Jesus does is he actually, he actually puts aside his glory and his beauty and he enters into this world and becomes a reject. He experiences rejection. Isaiah 53 describes it this way. 
He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Perhaps you've experienced rejection recently, or at least you've experienced the fear of rejection. Maybe you went through rush, and what a landmine of rejection that is, right? And whether you experienced it or you just experienced the fear of it, all of us know what that is like to be rejected. And what I want you to see here is that God is so committed to us that he's willing to become a reject himself, to experience what we've experienced. God entered into the world so that ultimately none of, that, that no one who believes in him would be rejected by him. That's who he is. That's what Jesus does. So why believe him? Why believe that he is who he says he is? My friend, Brian Sorgenfry, who's the campus minister at Ole Miss, he told me about one of his students who uh, graduated, and she went to go work with special needs kids at the local school district. She said, uh, she said it was really hard. He he was meeting up with her and was asking him, how's it going? And she's like, I've got this one particular kid who's got some some mental challenges that, that make him a really violent kid. And so as I try to help him and serve him and care for him, I, I end up with bruises because I, I, I get beat up by him. And Brian was like, what, what's that like to, to, to deal with that? And she says, honestly, it's a privilege. It's a privilege because I know now when I go and talk to his parents that they know what I've been through too, and I know what they've been through. And because I have the bruises to show that I've been through, been through it with their kid and have had a taste of what they've experienced, they listen to me. They trust me. It's a privilege. And y'all, this is what Jesus did for us. Jesus entered into this world, into our mess, and he took on the bruises of this life. And in doing so, he shows that he is trustworthy. He's worthy of your trust. If you don't trust him yet, just at least consider that there is no other God in any of the other religions who suffers. There's no other God who suffers. Jesus suffers so that he can rescue us from our suffering. That's who he is. And he does it so that ultimately what verse 12 says can be true, that to all who believe in his name, he gives the right to be children of God. It's my hope for you this semester that you would see how committed God is to adopting weak, messy sinners like me and like you and making them his children. Because ultimately our hope is this. Our hope is not that we would encounter, that we would figure out some way to encounter God. That we would somehow be able to peel back the layers of mystery to access God. Our hope is that God encounters us. That God has come into the world seeking to save that that which was lost, Jesus said. That God entered into this world to encounter us, and he holds that out to us. So what? What I would hold out to you is that we would put ourselves in places for these next three months, because that's all we got. It's going to be a short semester. We've got three months together. What if for these next three months we put ourselves in places where we might encounter God? And listen, God is the God of of the natural world, the normal world. 
And as the God of the natural, normal world, he's given us natural, normal things so that we can encounter him. It's not some super mysterious thing. So I would, I would hold out to you four daily habits that we're going to be doing as a community that I'm going to be doing with you guys to put us in a place where we might encounter God. One of them is daily prayer. We'll meet twice a day on Zoom. You can hop into one of those calls, and let's pray together. What would your life look like if three months from now you've been praying with one another every day, every weekday, every school day, Monday through Friday. Another, another daily practice that we're going to be doing is scripture. What would it look like three months from now if we've been reading our Bibles together every day? We've got a reading plan posted on our Instagram link that you can check out. We'd love for you to read that along with us. The other, the other daily practices that we have are recreation. It, we want to play together. We want to enjoy this creation that God has made together. And the fourth daily practice that we're going to be doing is studying, doing the actual work that God has sent you here to this university to do, which is to study, to be a student. That's your calling right now. And we want you to do that with excellence, and we're going to come alongside each other. We're going to form study groups and do all kinds of things so that we can come alongside each other and help us. Because let's be honest, like if you're doing online classes all the time, it's hard to focus, it's hard to study, and we want to do that to God's glory. What would, your, what would your life look like three months from now with those daily habits? And we're also going to do four weekly habits. One you're doing right now, which is to gather together in what we're calling watch pods, to, to tune into larger groups together because we can't all be in the mansion at once. We're also going to be doing what we're calling RUF quads, which is groups of four students meeting together and kind of digging in deep with what's actually going on in our lives and how can we be supporting each other in this time. The third, the third weekly practice that we're going to be doing is actually resting from being a student once a day. Sabbath. Resting and setting aside our work so that we can enjoy God and his creation and his people by going to church and being together. And the final one that we're going to do is what we're calling our, our media fast. And really it just means like taking a break from screens for a time on Sundays. Um, and you can kind of pick how long you want to do that. I, I'm doing it between lunch and dinner. And I mean, you'd be surprised how hard it is. Like I it was, it's been challenging for me, but it's also like been super life-giving. On Sunday, I did a puzzle with Lucy and ended up playing Avatar with our kids because they're super into Avatar. We watched that this, uh, this summer. That's a whole other story, though. We'll talk about that later. Um, but we invite you into these habits because we think that's a place. These are normal things that God's given us so that we can encounter him, so we can encounter the kind of God who entered into our very normal, physical, broken world to redeem us because he loves us. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that you would help us to, to live life together this semester in whatever way that we can, even though the, the challenges of social distancing and COVID-19 are all around us. And we pray that you would meet us in the midst of that, that you would meet us as we gather together uh, in the ways that we can. And we pray that you would be work in our, in, at work in our life, that you would enter into the darkness of this world for our sake. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.